Hi everyone, from Impact Alpha Media, this is Returns on Investment, a show about the impact investing marketplace. Live, on tape, from New York, I'm Brian Walsh, Head of Impact for the financial technology company LiquidNet. On today's show, David Bank, Editor-in-Chief of Impact Alpha, sits down with Laura Callanan of the new organization Upstart CoLab. One of the great successes of the impact movement has been increased funding for social entrepreneurs. Laura believes that since artists and creatives provide impact in a variety of ways, they too should have access to impact capital. Let's listen to their conversation now. Hi, this is David Bank with Impact Alpha. I'm here with Laura Callanan, who's the founding partner of the Upstart CoLab, a new uh, national collaboration of artists, social impact investors, and social entrepreneurs. So if you could just sort of explain what the problem is, and, th- and then we can get to the solution. So artists are not recognized as social entrepreneurs. And this was kind of a, an aha moment that I had maybe now about six years ago. I was having lunch with a friend, Jim Houghton. He is the founding artistic director of Signature Theater Company in New York City. It's an off-Broadway nonprofit theater. And I've known Jim now for 25 years. Uh, I was on his board in the early days of the theater, so I've really seen the growth and, and what he's accomplished. Uh, and he was just giving me the update. It, this was at a moment, the theater at that time was about 20 years old. They had just broken ground on a new three-theater complex that was funded through a $70 million pu- public-private partnership. Uh, Frank Gehry w- had designed the, the building. There was going to be a continued commitment to equity and access, so all tickets at the theater would be priced at $25. The theater was going to be able to expand its programming because it was moving from one space to three performing spaces. And a big part of the Gary design was around a large lobby space that was going to be open 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And Jim talked about it as a community green in the middle of Hell's Kitchen. Uh, This was a place where you could come in without having purchased a ticket to attend the theater. And you could use the free Wi-Fi. You could buy some coffee at the cafe. You could have a community meeting. You could you could just use the space and be there, and so uh, Jim was was trying to enable what he termed orchestrated collisions, and he was very focused on the community of what happened in the neighborhood and in that lobby before you ever went down, you know, went into the theater itself, sat down in your seat, the, the lights went down, and, and you saw a performance. So listening to Jim talk about where this came from and where he thought it was going. It was at a moment I was I was a consultant at McKinsey, and I was engaged doing some work with our friends at the Skoll Foundation. I'm just listening to Jim, and I said, you know, Jim, you are a social entrepreneur, but nobody's calling you that because you work in the arts, and you don't even call yourself that because you work in the arts, but, you know, but take it from me, right? I know these things. And that really got me thinking, why was it that this fellow who was focused on community development, was focused on equity and access, had absolutely brought new ideas to scale, was innovating all the time, was constantly engaging in different types of feedback to improve what he was doing. Why was he not recognized? And and, and was I right? If I really evaluated him in an objective way, would he meet the test of being a true social entrepreneur? And was Jim the only one out there, was he the exception that proves the rule, or were other artists doing this work too? And so in the last few years, 
while I was a scholar in residence at Haas. I did three case studies on Jim, on Theaster Gates, who works in Chicago, and on Deborah Cullinan, who leads the Europa Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco, to, to sort of prove that these three arts leaders are indeed social entrepreneurs. And um, that's been at the heart of, of the work that I'm doing now at Upstart. Well, I mean, the art actually is, people don't think of it that way, but it's a pretty big business in this country, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Actually, it's about 4.2% of the U.S. GDP, which is more than $700 billion. And it's bigger than some other uh, industry sectors that seem to me like they, they feel pretty big uh, around construction, for example. So it's not just a portion of the nonprofit experience or the nonprofit sector. It's definitely part of the, uh, the real economy as well. And just like in in other sectors, there's a, a establishment, or there's there's big there's big entities. There's obviously big museums and things, but there's also a whole, as you say, entrepreneurial uh, sector that is both individuals and small groups, and quite a vibrant um, uh, startup world, right? Yeah, and there's been more attention and more. Um, efforts to try to support artists as entrepreneurs to provide them some of the ancillary skills they need beyond their arts making to be able to take an idea, you know, take an idea, prototype it, develop it, shop it around, test it, um, improve it, iterate, all of those sorts of things that any entrepreneur needs to do. And so there, there's been energy around this. And when you talk to artists and you say, hey, you're, an, you're a, a social entrepreneur, the artists typically go, yes, I know. And now what am I supposed to do about it? How do I get over this wall and get access to some of these awards and grants and, and incubators and opportunities that are out there for other social entrepreneurs? Um, well, that was so, that, that was so, that, you, you've led into my question because I was yeah. going to say now that you've rebranded artists as social entrepreneurs, now that you've established that there's a business case and a real economy there, you know, what are we all and, and what are particularly artists supposed to do about it? Well, so from Upstart's point of view, we have three goals which we think will really enable uh, opportunities for artists. The first one is building recognition that artists are in fact innovators. And that means they are both social entrepreneurs and social innovators making public good that benefits all of us. But there are a lot of what I'm starting to call innovator artists, people who have begun their training or their professional career in the arts or in design, and then have migrated into other fields of endeavor. And we don't you know, in a lot of cases, we don't even know that they had that arts beginning. But I absolutely believe that it has shaped and informed the types of innovation that they're that they're conducting. So just a couple examples of these innovator artists. Um, I, Upstart's lucky enough to be housed at the F.B. Heron Foundation by Clara Miller. And I'd known Clara for a long time. But only recently did I learn that Clara Miller majored in uh, studio art at the University of New Hampshire. And I've discovered that there is a whole list of women who are leaders in impact investing and community finance. Penelope Douglas, uh, Patricia Ferrar-Rivas, Jen Price, all of these folks who, Deb Schwartz, all of these folks that we know as real leaders in this space of rethinking money and meaning. And they have this creative start to their to their work and to their background. And I've got to believe that that's enabled them to, to think outside the box and to imagine combining things that traditionally are, are never put together and, and, and thinking about new possibilities. So understanding that 
both artists are community leaders and social entrepreneurs, but that people who begin in the arts are innovating in all kinds of areas that we may not even be aware that they have that arts background. I think that's the first thing, because once you change mindsets and and open up um, an awareness, I think that that's going to lead to more opportunities for artists to be engaged for their ideation abilities and their imagination, not just the beautiful picture that they painted or the nice piece of music that they're playing for you. So that's our first goal, to increase opportunities for artists as innovators. The second thing we're going to do at Upstart, and this again speaks to a real need uh, that I've found for in the artist entrepreneur community, is to unleash more capital for creativity, new sources of capital. What I've found is that there are currently no impact investment products or funds that are focused on art and creativity. I've done a, a kind of an informal scan of this, but also I know that folks like Tideline and Veris have looked into this for some of their foundation clients who've been thinking about mission-related investing, and they haven't found any robust opportunities either. So, uh, so there will always be the foundation that takes the takes the, the leadership role of underwriting a particular PRI or underwriting a, a single investment to a creative company, but that's not going to get us to scale in the same way an investable product will. So we're thinking about uh, some opportunities with the Calvert Foundation to apply the Calvert Community Investment Note to creative places and creative businesses. We're talking with the folks at B-Lab to integrate some uh, concepts around creative competency into the standards for B corporations. And we're talking with Veris and Sustainalytics about what it could look like if we had a creative economy index fund of U.S. public companies. Well, let, let's, then, take, let's, yeah. take, let's take them, let's take uh, just a, a, a pause on, on each of those. So the Calvert Community Notes is a, turns out to be a very useful vehicle for bringing multiple kinds of investors into different um, sectors. They've just been involved, as you know, in the Benefit Chicago uh, project um, where, where yes. they're, they're basically Calvert Notes that are earmarked for, for Chicago. And there's a, we've, we've, we've done a podcast on that as well. So they come up in a lot of conversations. How does it what are you talking about in terms of actually having place-based art as a outcome, I suppose, of a Calvert community note? Well, the arts have always been anchors in the communities, right? Arts institutions, whether it's a theater, whether it's a performing arts conservatory, a school, uh, whether it's a small arts organization that is a place that the kids go for classes, uh, music classes or dance classes after school, that sort of stuff. And so if you look at the existing portfolios of community development investors like a Calvert or even the community development, uh, the CDFI fund, you'll see that historically there have been deals that are arts focused. But it's only about six or seven years now that there's been a real name for this. And that's called creative placemaking. Creative placemaking is community development that's catalyzed by artists and arts organizations. And this is a place where we can thank the National Endowment for the Arts for investing in some of the research that has led to the naming and framing and the understanding of creative placemaking. And uh, under the previous chairman, Rocco Landisman, and my former colleague from the Rockefeller Foundation, Joan Shikagawa, the National Endowment for the Arts started a grant-making program to fund these creative placemaking projects called Our Town. 
then uh, the foundations got together and created sort of the living cities for creative placemaking. So there's also a funders collaborative called Art Place that is funding these uh, creative placemaking projects all across the United States. That's fascinating. I happen to spend a fair amount of time in Spartanburg, South Carolina. We go back pretty much every year for to see family. And in the, say, 15 or 20 years, the downtown, which was shuttered and it was just abandoned and nobody would ever go down there. The malls had all moved out to the outskirts near the near the, the highway and, and the downtown was a, was a ghost town. And in the 15 years, it's come back alive. And the reason, it turns out, is exactly what you're saying. It's because there are public art fellowships and, and young people mostly, I think, come and uh, do a project. And it means the downtown is full of both, you know, sculpture, but also there's like a putt-putt golf course that has beautiful art as part of the, you know, as part of the golf, the free public public golf course. Um, and then there's people in the cafes and then there's now music clubs. And there's a whole now life there that did not exist. And I think art was the absolute catalyst for it. That's the perfect example. And as usual, philanthropy sort of started the process. Now I think for creative placemaking to absolutely get to scale, we need to bring impact investment capital into it as well in a really um, major way. So there'll always be some of the activities that you're talking about that will require philanthropic support. A big part of creative placemaking are festivals and activation uh, projects that bring people into the space. But there's also a bricks and mortar component there's affordable housing, affordable workspace for artists. There are retail spaces. There are manufacturing spaces for uh, creative companies, right? And so those are the types of projects that look a lot more like traditional community development. They have revenue streams. They can take on loans. They can uh, accept equity, right? And so those are the sorts of things that we need to start to focus on now to um, bring more capital to support these artistic and entrepreneurial ventures. Well, let's just put an exclamation point on that. So you're saying that the opportunity now is not only a philanthropic opportunity, which, as you say, has supported the arts over, over time and probably been a key lifeline for the arts, but now there's a private investment opportunity in art and artists and artistic, I guess, infrastructure. Absolutely. The, you know, you've heard the term the creative economy. So this is, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about folks who are artists making work, who are in the culinary arts field, who are in the fashion field, who are doing game design, who are doing architectural work, right? All of these are uh, aspects, sectors within the creative economy. And as if someone trains in the arts or trains for a creative career, they're likely to span and move between some of these different um, categories. So uh, we want to make capital available for folks who are working in a more traditional way that we imagine to be quote-unquote, the arts. But we ha we also know that folks with those types of um, backgrounds and talents can move into all kinds of other fields. Just just to be clear, so the I, I get the Calvert notes, but are there other vehicles or what are, what are the maybe planned vehicles where social impact investors could actually invest in these kind of things? So w one of the projects that I'm exploring through Upstart with colleagues at Veris Wealth Partners and Sustainalytics is what could it look like if we created an index fund of U.S. public companies in the creative economy? It would be an investable fund. These would be obviously public companies that are doing well, that are growing in value, that are returning well to their investors. 
and they would be in industries like music and film and culinary and fashion and game design and some of these sectors that we're talking about. But we could also bring, let's call it a value screen or another perspective to selecting what companies could be in the index. We could select for companies who are democratizing the design, fabrication, and distribution of creative products. And that could include a company like Etsy, right, that is allowing people to create something and then distribute it and sell it broadly. We could be supporting companies that are enabling individual creative expression. So a, a 3D printing company or something like Autodesk that's designing CAD software, design software that allows you to take your idea and make it manifest. We could support or at companies that are uh, meeting standards of high artistic merit and excellence and are at the same time promoting some of the issues around s social impact and sustainability that we care about. Participant Media is a privately held company, not a public company. It's uh, one of the companies that Jeff Scholes uh, leading and it has produced movies that if you've seen like Waiting for Superman and and uh, those types of films that are on important social topics but they're also award-winning films. So so what would happen if we started to look at an opportunity to invest in the creative economy not by having to pick and choose individual companies by yourself but if there were an investable index fund that was out there and you could instruct your advisor that you wanted you wanted to participate. So now there's a there's a there's a debate which I which I know you know about whether investments in public companies can be truly impact investments or not. I don't want to go down that, but is the is the notion that you would be supporting and providing capital to these companies or is the notion that somehow this artistic sensibility, this artistic perspective is actually a signal for some kind of better performance by that index? Well, picking up on your, your second idea about the connection between creative competencies and bottom line performance and a, a company effectiveness, we're in conversation with, a, with Bruce Nussbaum, whose very interesting book around creative intelligence lays out a framework that talks about these creative competencies. We're talking with the folks at B-Lab about whether the, the B corporations are actually practicing these creative competencies without even knowing it. And one of the projects we're undertaking over the next couple months is a case study of 10 or 12 B corporations in different uh, sectors and in, in, with different operating models to see how they're already behaving creatively, even if they don't recognize that or they're not doing it intentionally. And we're hoping to, um, to kind of point out how creativity is, in fact, a bottom line driver for sustainable companies. That's fascinating. We've talked, you know, a lot about how purpose broadly broadly construed yes. becomes an advantage for companies, whether it's in terms of motivation or retention or uh, just passion or tackling big challenges become big, big opportunities. We've talked also about the role of women in companies. And there's a correlation, as you know, between uh, uh, empowerment of women in leadership and, and whatnot and, and, and company performance. And now I guess we're saying maybe artistic and creative competency is another signal. So maybe if you had purpose-driven, women-led, artistically <laughs> informed companies, you'd have real winners now. The next generation, without a doubt. Let's just get to what Upstart CoLab is. I'm looking at the logo and, and the art part of Upstart is, is called out. So I get that you wanted to get art in there. And I imagine CoLab has to do with both collaboration and maybe maybe lab. But but it's it doesn't, just to be frank, that totally roll off your tongue. Um, so what is an upstart collab and, and where where are you at in your in your in your formation? 
Well, we, we launched on April 8th, and a big thank you to Darren Walker at the Ford Foundation for hosting us there. It was a great day. We brought together 85 people. 30 of them were individual artists who are social entrepreneurs. 30 of them are uh, folks who are innovating in different ways. And the, the, the remaining 25 were funders and investors, including some of our friends from the impact investing community, which was terrific. So we are newly launched as of April 8th, 2016. And um, I, I'm sorry that the name doesn't roll off the tongue, but I've got to say, David, you understood exactly what, what we had in mind in terms of all of the, the things we're trying to share in our name. We are absolutely experimental, so we're trying to emphasize the lab part indeed. We are a collaboration that brings together financial partners and strategic partners to do a portfolio of five projects. Uh, we are have art at the center even though, as you've heard me say, we are thinking about the broader creative economy and the creative community. We are moving up, which means we want to be scaling social impact. And we're obviously starting something new. So we're, we're at the beginning of, of what I hope will be the next chapter for impact investing and sustainability. Well, you did get that all into the name, so don't take my don't take it the wrong way. Um, I think it's a terrific and fascinating project, and uh, and you you sound like you're the ideal uh, hybrid of experience to run it. So um, uh, good luck, and and we'd love to stay in touch as you build it out. Thanks, David. Thanks a lot. Thanks for being with us. Special thanks to Upstart Collab founding partner Laura Callanan for speaking with us. Check them out at Upstart Co. Lab.org. That's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. If you like the show, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts these days. And be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. It really helps other people discover our show. If you don't like the show, maybe keep it to yourself. Just kidding. You can always send us an email with any comments or suggestions. We love hearing from you. You can reach us at info at impactalpha.com. For more news on the Impact Investing Marketplace, follow us on Twitter at ImpactAlpha and visit us at ImpactAlpha.com. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter to keep in touch. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks for listening to Returns on Investment. We look forward to speaking again soon.